Well, I want to welcome you here, especially those of you that are over in the venue. Um, if you're with us here for the first time, uh, greetings inside uh, this little shell are most of the verses we're going to take a look at, and I invite you to, to use it. Um, if you're listening online right now, blessings to you. If you're on the radio right now, uh, I'm glad that you're with us. Uh, we're in a series here at Big Valley Grace called The Fruit That Makes a, a, a Marriage Great. It's really a, a series on relationships, so I guarantee you that whether you're single or you're married or whatever, you're going to get something out of it. Typically, I would pray right now. I would have all the couples stand and we'd pray, but we're going to do that at the very end. We're going to have our pastors and elders all over uh, this place, and at the very end, we're going to sing some songs and invite you to come. It's been really neat and let uh, the spiritual leaders of the church pray over you, your marriages. Uh, if you're single, just praying for you. If you're engaged, it should be a great time of prayer, whether your marriage is in a good place or, or not. We're going to do that at the end. Uh, singles, I've been giving you a, a bit of wisdom. One, one little phrase, and what is that? Choose wisely. Okay? You got to choose wisely. If you don't, you pick somebody who's a sociopath or a narcissist or whatever. Guess what? None of the stuff we're talking about is going to matter. So you got to choose wisely. And the good news for you is it's the United States of America. You have a choice. You get to choose who you're going to spend your life with, who you're going to say I do to. So you got you to choose wisely. Our theme verse is Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, and I want us to say it out loud together over in the venue. Everybody, here we go. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now last week, or, or uh, we kicked it off two weeks ago by Looking at love, we looked at what God has to say about love, not what Hollywood says about love, not what you know, the movies say about love or what sitcoms have to say about love, but what does God's word have to say about love? And one of the things that God tells us is, is that love is a choice. You make the choice to love somebody or you make the choice not to love somebody. Colossians chapter three says, and over all of these virtues, and there's all these virtues that are listed, God says, make the choice to put on love. Put it on. Then last week we looked at joy. We looked at how you can restore the joy to your life and or your marriage when it seems to have vanished. Jesus said there's more happiness, there's more joy in giving than there is uh, receiving. Joy comes or returns when you focus on giving rather than receiving. There's, there's more joy in life. There's more joy in your marriage when you focus your energy on meeting the needs of your spouse, when you care more about giving to them and what they need than what's going on even in your own life. Now today we're gonna look at, at peace, okay? Proverbs chapter 29 says this, people with no regard for others can throw whole cities into turmoil. And we saw this this past week, right? A couple of losers who had no regard for others threw a whole city, Boston, into turmoil. Actually threw a whole nation into turmoil. But you can boil that down to your home. Somebody who doesn't really care about Others, you don't really care about your spouse, you don't really care, you know. You can throw your whole 
family into turmoil. Those who are wise, the Bible says, keeps things calm. One version says, fools start fights everywhere. Wise men try to keep the peace. Beloved, God in his word says that it's just foolish to start arguments, to start fights, but it's wise to, to keep the, the peace. Jesus said, blessed are the, the peacemakers. So today we're gonna look at how you can be a peacemaker in your marriage, how you can be a peacemaker just in your relationships in, in general. Now realize that, that, that some of you are probably thinking, you know what, I don't need this. Right now things are going pretty good in my marriage. Maybe you're in stage one for those of you that were here last week or maybe you're in stage three if you were here last week. But I guarantee you all of us at one time or another are gonna need this message whether you think you need it right now or, 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 or not. But let me begin by quickly giving you two things um, or two misconceptions about peacemaking. Number one, peacemaking Peacemaking isn't about ignoring or avoiding or running from problems, okay? Beloved, when you have this attitude, you know, I don't want to make waves, you know, so let's, you know, not talk about what's happening in our marriage or whatever. When you have this attitude, you'll, you'll have unresolved conflict in your marriage, which is like having termites in your relationship. If you have termites at home, in your home and you don't deal with it, eventually your house is gonna collapse. The same thing is true in your marriage. If you don't deal with the things that come up, it's like having termites in your marriage. And sooner or later, your, your marriage is gonna, is gonna you know, come, come down. When, when you avoid conflict in your marriage, that's not peacemaking, okay? That's cowardice. Number two, peacemaking isn't about appeasing another person for the sake of peace, okay? God doesn't expect you to be a doormat. When you study the life of Jesus Christ, he never backed away from legitimate issues. When, when people say, well, you know, because you're a, a Christian, you, you have to give in and do whatever I say, that's just crazy talk. Okay, that's not peacemaking. But, but by the way, the result of appeasement is always uh, resentment. It builds up in your life. So appeasement isn't, you know, peacemaking. Peace at, at any price is not legitimate peace. So what I want to do now is I, I want you to listen to these words of our brother Peter. He said, if you want to enjoy life, and I'll bet most of you in this room want, want to enjoy life. I'll bet most of you over in the venue, you, you want to enjoy life, Right? If you want to enjoy life and you want to see, you know, many happy days, that's what we all want. We want that in our personal lives. We want that in our, our marriages, right? We, we want to enjoy our, our lives, our marriages. We want to see a lot of happy days. The Bible says, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. And then the Bible says this, if, if you want to enjoy life, if you want to enjoy your marriage, you want to see a lot of happy days, search for peace and work to maintain it. Beloved, God says that we have to search for peace. You have to look for it. And the reason why you got to look for it is because it's not always out in the open. Keeping peace with your spouse can be a, a little elusive at, 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 at times. And when you do find it, God says that you have to work to maintain it. 
Why is this? Why is it so hard for two people, you and your spouse, to have or maintain peace in your relationship? Well, let me give you one word. Sin. The Bible says for every one of us has sinned. We've all fallen short of God's glorious standards. Men, you're a sinner. Women, you're a sinner. Wives, you need to understand that your husband is sinful. Men, you need to understand that your wife is sinful. And there was a time when all you had to deal with was your own sin, basically. Then there came a moment when you said, I do, and two sinful people came together. And now you have to deal with not only your own sin, but you have to deal with the sin of your spouse. Because of sin, there's going to be times when there's no peace in your marriage. Because of sin, there's going to be times when there won't be any peace in your relationships. There, there won't be any peace in your families. Because of sin, there are times when there's not any, even any peace in your own minds. Forget about dealing with your spouse or your, your, your family or your children or your parents or whatever. Because of sin, sometimes there's turmoil in your own brain. And when you do find peace within a relationship, when those moments do come and there's peace in your marriage, peace in your family, peace even in your own mind, you've got to work hard to maintain it. It doesn't take much for there to be conflict and all kinds of stuff that will go on. So, so how do you do it? How, how can you be a peacemaker? How, how can you keep the you know, peace with, with your, your spouse? Well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you five things. Super easy for me to talk about them, but really hard to pull it off. If it was easy, we'd all have peaceful lives. We'd all have peaceful marriages. It's not easy. In fact, one of them's really dicey. But I guarantee you, if you work hard to do them, there's going to be a whole lot of peace in your marriages, in your relationships in, in general. So, so here we go. Number one. You're a peacemaker when, when you plan or you schedule regular times when you and your spouse talk. You got to plan it. Just plan for it. Open up your smartphone, just put, put it in the smartphone, put it in your day timer, your posted notes, however it is you do it, your calendar on your you know, refrigerator, whatever it is. You, you have to plan for regular times when you and your spouse We'll have a peace conference together. Listen to these words of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He said in Matthew chapter five, you have heard that it was said to our people long ago, you must not murder anyone. Anyone who murders another will be judged. But I tell you, if you're angry with your brother or your sister, your spouse, how about that? That works, right? You will be judged. If you say bad things to your brother or your sister, your spouse, you will be judged by the council. And if you call someone a fool, you will be in danger of the fire of hell. So when you offer your gift to God at the altar and you remember that your brother or your sister, in this case, your spouse, has something against you, leave your gift there at the altar. Go and make peace 
with that person. Go have, go have a peace conference with them and then in co come and offer your gift. What Jesus says is this, is, and he gives this illustration. Look, you've showed up here today and you know we've all been singing kumbaya and a little bit giving and praying. There's just been this great thing. And, and the Bible says this. Jesus says, if, if at some moment you remember, oh man, I've got an issue with my, with my wife. My wife hurt me, I hurt my wife. If you as a wife go, you know what, I got an issue with my husband, he hurt me, I hurt him. Jesus said, look, it's way more important that you stop your singing, stop your giving, stop your praying, stop your fellowshipping, and go and have a peace conference with that individual. Peace is an important thing here. Jesus says, stop worshiping me and go and have a peace conference with that individual. Beloved, the first step in keeping peace with your spouse is to have times when you sit down and you talk. You have a face-to-face -face conversation about whatever's going on. That makes sense, doesn't it? Now, 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 now here's where I wanna get practical, okay? And I don't mean to hurt anybody's feelings, but some of you are going to be embarrassed here in, in, in a minute. But Now, when you have this peace conference, when you plan it or whatever, you have to do it when it's not necessarily good for you, but you have to do it when it's good for both of you. You don't wait until you're in bed getting ready to go to sleep and then turn to your spouse and say, hey, I want to have a peace conference. Your spouse has to get up at 5 a.m. to go to work. Here they are getting ready to go to bed. Look, you want to take the time to look at your spouse and go, Psst, you're hot. Do that. We all got time for that. <laughs> but don't wait until your spouse gets in bed and all of a sudden, bam, you lay on them a peace conference. That's just, that's just pretty crummy. That's just, in fact, it's, not, it's worse than pretty crummy. Yeah, you, don't, you don't do it if your spouse is getting ready to walk out the go, door to go to work. You know, they got the briefcase or they got their lunch or, you know, your wife has her purse and she's heading out the door. She's got 15 minutes to go to work and say, hey, listen, I got something that's going on. We need to have a peace conference. That, that's just really crummy. Stop doing that. D don't do that. Use, engage this thing. Use your intellect. Forget about your feelings for a moment and use your intellect. How, how can you have a peace conference when your spouse is heading out the door? You don't do it when your spouse has just walked in from work, spent all day, eight, 10 hours working, sweating, whatever it is, and they haven't even put the briefcase down, they haven't even put their purse down, and they walk in the door and boom! You lower the boom on a peace conference. That, that's, just, that's just really crummy. Don't do that. Let people put their stuff down and go take a shower, eat some food, hang out, read the paper, watch some, the, the, the news or whatever. You, you don't do it when you're hurried or tired or pressured. You do it when it's convenient for both of you. God's word says this, there's a time for everything, including a peace conference, a season for every activity under the sun. There's a time to be silent 
and there's a time to talk. And wise is the soul who knows when that time is. Solomon says there's a, a proper time and a proper place and a proper procedure for every matter under the sun. When Jesus said in Matthew 5, you, if you've got a, a problem with your spouse, you need to go and you need to talk with them. There, there's a proper time to, 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 to do that. Now, obviously, somebody has to take the initiative. Somebody's got to make the first move. If you're the offender or if you're the offended, the Bible says the ball's in your court. You're to take the initiative. You take the first step. If you're a believer, it doesn't matter whether you've been offended or you've been the offender. If you recognize that there's now tension, there's conflict in your relationship, you're to take the first step. You schedule the peace conference. But you've got to be careful that you meet at the right time. Psalms 34 says, turn away from evil and do good. Strive for peace. You've got to strive for it. It doesn't come easily. It doesn't come easily because of our sin. And a part of striving for peace is to plan meeting times when things get a little sideways in our marriages. Number two. You've now planned the meeting. You got the peace um, uh, uh, conference scheduled. What do you do when you finally meet? Well, you're a peacemaker when you empathize or you care about your spouse's feelings. When you empathize, you care. The Bible says, finally, all of you should be of one mind. Sympathize with each other. And that means your spouse, for crying out loud. Sympathize with your spouse. Sympathize with your spouse, sympathize. Love each other as brothers and sisters. Be tender, tender-hearted and, and keep a humble attitude. One version says, be full of sympathy towards each other. Beloved, once you've, you know, the peace conference begins, whether it's with your husband or your wife or parent, a teenager, a partner at work, a neighbor, whoever, the first thing you do is you listen. You care, you empathize with them. You don't try to get your point across. You don't interrupt them. You don't argue with them. You simply listen. Now let me tell you what happens when you, when you listen. Let me tell you what happens when you really care and you really empathize. You learn something. Unbelievable. It, it's really unbelievable. You see, what we do most of the time, oh, we'll gather together, but when your spouse is talking, you're not listening. You're just formulating all the stuff. All your sin is taking over, your pride. And you're just waiting for them to take a breath. And you jump in. You haven't listened to a thing. You haven't empathized. You haven't cared. All that matters is you. That's what matters. How dare anybody say something crummy about you? And you're just waiting for your shot to lambast them. If you want there to be peace, you got to plan the, the, the peace conference. Got to get together. Right time, right place, right moment. And then you show up and you empathize. You say, I'm really going to listen. I really want to care about what's happening in, in, in their life. The Bible says this. 
In the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you, and all that means is physically, women typically are weaker than men. That's all it's talking about there. Don't make more of that than you need to, men, which you often do. He's just saying that women are just typically weaker. Now, there's always a gal somewhere that can out bench press you. I know it. Okay, but typically speaking, men are just stronger. She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. And then God says to us men, treat your spouse, treat your wife as you should so that your prayers won't be hindered. This is serious business to God. One of the reasons why some of your prayers aren't answered is because you don't know how to empathize with your wife. You don't really know how to listen. You don't really know how to care. It's so serious to God that God says, listen, if you're not empathizing with your wife, I'm not even going to hear your prayers. You can come and talk to me about whatever you want. But I'm not listening. You said I do to your spouse. You made a vow before a bunch of people and me. And when you don't treat your spouse the way you should, it impacts your prayer life, which means it impacts your, your spiritual lives. Listen, <laughs> men, if your wife says to you, honey, I just want you to know, the peace conference has been scheduled, and she says, yeah, I just want you to know, you, you, you've hurt me. If she says that to you guys, she's, she's right. You, you've hurt her. But I know how our pride gets into it. Oh, well, uh, well I, I didn't mean to. I didn't. If your wife tells you, you've hurt me, you've hurt her. End of story, period, done. Quit trying to justify whatever went down. You've hurt her. Own it. Empathize. Say, oh man, I'm just really sorry, sweetheart. Would you forgive me? Boom, that took me what, two seconds? Three seconds? Three seconds before, let's say five. Five seconds. But boy, pride gets in there, doesn't it, guys? Unbelievable what happens when you just listen, when you empathize. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, Pastor Rick, you don't know my wife. Uh, <laughs> it's impossible for me to understand what's going on in her head. You're right, I don't know your wife, but I do know what the Bible says. The Bible says this, I can do all things through Christ because he's the one who gives me strength. And by the way, in the Greek, all things is all things. Oh, don't you hate it when the Bible gets in the way of your justification? Man, that just is bothersome. See, the Bible says that you can do all things. You can, you can listen. You can empathize. 
If you really listen, you'll learn some things about your spouse. You'll learn some things about your children. You'll learn some things about your parents or whoever the relationship happens to be. Be with. Paul said in Philippians chapter two, be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. Well, that's hard. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. In other words, be interested in what your spouse thinks. Be interested in what's going on in their lives. Be interested in, in what's happening in, in, in their world. And, and be interested in, in, in just what's happening with, with them. Beloved, usually whenever there's conflict in a relationship, it's usually because one of you is more absorbed in what's happening in your own life and you're not being considerate of what's going on in your spouse's life. That's what it boils down to. Let me take you back to last week. When you have your priorities right, Jesus, when Jesus is number one in your life, automatically what happens is other people are gonna be more important and then yourself. And that's where joy comes from, is when you got Jesus where he's supposed to be, you put others and then yourself. Not only is there joy in your marriage, but there's also peace in your marriage. The problem comes when you get these out of order, remember? And you get yoige. You see, when, when, when you're number one in your life, then others, and now Jesus, that's the problem. When Jesus isn't number one, I guarantee you, your spouse won't move up the chain to number one. Your flesh will move up the chain to number one. You move Jesus out of first place and boom, your flesh goes there. Oh, and then certainly you'll care about your spouse. And Jesus is down here. And when you got that, you got yoige. And when you got yoige in a marriage, you got a mess. I know because I've been here 30 years. I've, I've talked with lots of people. And I'll bet 99.99% of them all had yoige. And let me tell you how you get rid of yoige. It's called repentance. You repent that you have sinned and moved God out of first place. That's the major sin. And you say, God, I'm, I, I, please forgive me for not having you in your rightful place as the number one uh, thing, person in my life. And when a person humbles themselves and repents and puts Jesus number one and they begin to do all that they can to make Christ the number one thing in their life, I'll tell you right now, I have seen miracles happen in my office. I've seen them happen here. I've seen them happen in the altar room. I've been at people's homes when all it took is for one spouse or both of them to simply repent of their pride and put Christ back up at top. Boom! Unbelievable what took place. It saved them thousands of dollars in counseling fees. Because one person decided, you know what, I'm I, I just getting rid of my pride. I'm not digging in anymore. And I'm going to put Christ back where he belongs. Here's the bottom line. If you want to make peace with somebody like your spouse, you got to change the focus from just looking at what you need, you know, your hurts, your needs, your wants, your fears, your doubts, whatever, and begin to focus on their hurts, their wants, their doubts, their fears, or whatever. There's an old saying out there that goes like this, hurt people, hurt people. 
That's what hurt people do. All a hurt person can do is hurt people. And if you're married to somebody who's hurt, they are going to hurt you. So here's what you have to do. You gotta look beyond the hurt that they're causing you. And you gotta say, they're hurt. Lord, help me to understand what's hurt them. Because when I understand what's hurt them, then I'll understand why I'm being hurt. But if you don't ever get past your hurt, you'll never get to why that person's hurting you. And I want you to know, it doesn't come naturally. Naturally, our flesh cares about itself. You hurt me, you did this to me, and it's all about you, 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 and I can't believe what you did to me, and you to me, 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 like somehow you're special. And don't we all think we're special? I mean, how dare somebody hurt you? You're so special. Naturally, we're always focused on ourselves. And so you gotta work really hard to shift the focus and say, you know what? I'm not gonna worry about my pain. I'm not gonna worry about my hurts. I'm not gonna worry about my doubts. I'm not gonna worry about all that stuff. What I'm gonna do is I'm gonna do what Jesus did and I'm gonna focus on their need, their hurts, their pains. Number three, and this is the tricky one, you, 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 you plan the, 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 the peace conference, if you will, you get together. And when you do get together, you empathize. You go into it saying, I really want to learn something. I want to listen. I want to care about my spouse. And then number three, you're a peacemaker when you attack the problem, not your spouse. You attack the problem. I realize you got problems. I, I got them. I got them in my marriage. I got them in my family. Remember, sin, remember? My wife's sinful. I'm sinful. My children are sinful. One of them's sitting right over there. We like to call him our little angel. We're all sinful. So guess what? You put a bunch of sinful people in a room and you, get, you got trouble. There are, there are problems and you have to learn to attack the problem not the person. Proverbs chapter 10 says, some people hold back the truth, uh, 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 someone who holds back the truth causes trouble. But one who openly criticizes works for peace. Now as I said, this is the tricky one, but it can be learned. On the one hand, you've gotta attack the problem in your relationship, you gotta deal with it. You gotta call a spade a spade, you gotta talk about the stuff that's wrong in the relationship. In other words, you have to face the truth about what's going on in your relationship. On the other hand, you need to attack the problem without attacking the person. You need to speak the truth compassionately. Paul said in Ephesians, we're to speak the truth in love. You see, facing the facts is how you have peace in a relationship. When we lie to each other or we bury the truth or we sweep it under the rug, it doesn't help. It's only when we're honest with each other that healing really can, can begin. It's the truth that sets you free, but you have to speak the truth in a spirit of love. You say it in a way that you value the, the relationship, in other words. You don't get your point across by being cross. You, you stop fixing the blame in order to fix the, 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 the problem. And by the way, you already, you already know this. You've had peace conferences where all you did was gripe, complain, nag, scream, and attack each other, and it didn't help, did it? It never helps. 
You have to speak the truth and love. The Bible says this, and it's not a suggestion. When you're in this peace conference, the Bible says this, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful. When you're in this peace conference, this is to be applied, this passage, everywhere in life, even at the peace conference. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those that, that hear it. Beloved, when you have a, a peacemaking conference, you, you have to say whatever it is you're going to say in a peacemaking way, a positive way, because when you say something offensively, it always leads to being defensive, doesn't it? Let me give you seven quick rules for, for fighting fair, okay? Number, number one, never compare your spouse to somebody else's spouse. Don't, don't ever do that. Never say, why can't you be like so-and-so, or you're just like so-and-so, or you know what, you're just like my first wife. Don't, don't ever do that. It just never, it just never ends well. The peace conference is over at that moment. Never condemn your spouse. Don't say you should, you ought, you must, you should be ashamed of yourself, it's all your fault. Whenever you start a sentence with you, it's often a, a condemnation, isn't it? Now what you can do is change it around and say, you know, we've got a problem here, or it seems to me, or I feel, you know, whatever. Number three, never command your spouse to do anything. Never end a, uh, an argument by force. I demand you to do what I say. Like somehow your spouse became the king. You're an American, it's a free country. You're an adult. Your spouse doesn't have to do anything you command them to do. Don't do that, that's crummy. Ne ne never, never threaten your spouse. You know, you do that and just see what happens. I say do it. Just see what happens. Just see. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> do it. Those, by the way, people that do that are just weak. They're weak. Those are like bullies on the playground. Don't do that. Don't be that kind of person. Never belittle your spouse. Never interrupt your spouse when they're talking. Never bring up unrelated issues with your spouse. And some of you are just masters at this. You know, your spouse is talking about something that you're having a conflict over. You know, they call a peace conference and you get together and you're, you're you know, you're, you're not empathizing. You're not really listening. And so they're talking, I don't know, about the finances. And all of a sudden you go, hey, oh, you know, your mother. <laughs> My mother, I, we were just talking about the finances. Oh, I know, but your mother, I need to talk about that for a minute. Because, wow, it's no fun to talk about your issue, huh? And so let's deflect it and get it onto something else. Anything but talking about me. You see, you haven't recognized the fact that you're sinful. It's no fun. When my wife and I have a peace conference. It's no fun. I'd rather jab a hot poker in my eye. <laughs> yeah. uh, really, I mean, who wants to face 
your own humanity at times. My flesh is alive and well, trust me. And when my wife schedules a peace conference and you sit down, and most of the time, you know what? I know exactly what it is. <laughs> I, know. I know. Yeah? I might as well just cut to the chase, but I never do. Because maybe, just maybe, that ain't it. <laughs> and, it and I always know exactly what it is. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> and attacking the problem is simply me repenting of my sin. I don't even need to go on to any more steps. I just listen. If you'll do these seven things, 16 things, whatever they are, I guarantee you, it'll make a difference. It'll help you attack the problem instead of the person. Number four, you're a peacemaker when you cooperate as much as possible with your spouse. The Bible says, do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. And everyone there includes your spouse. Do everything you can. You gotta cooperate. You gotta compromise. You gotta look for areas where you can compromise with your spouse. You try to find areas of common ground, places where you can meet in the middle, places where you can give a little and they can give a little. And I'm not talking about, you know, the inerrancy of scripture. I'll never compromise on that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about one of you likes, uh, uh, I don't know, uh, antique furniture and the other one of you likes Ikea stuff. Find a place to compromise. Cooperate with each other. The Bible says, but the wisdom from above is first of all pure, it's also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and it's willing to yield to others. When Jesus Christ is at the top of the food chain of your life, you'll be willing to yield to your spouse. If you like uh, uh, antiques, and let's get antiques. It's fine with me. Oh no. If you like the Ikea stuff, let's do Ikea. I want to get a red Toyota. Oh, no, I like white Toyotas. you got to find those common ground places. And when you have Jesus, number one, I guarantee you, you will yield to others. You'll yield to your spouse. In my opinion, most marriages die from inflexibility than from adultery or abuse or alcohol or anything else. Someone is just unwilling to change. They're just unwilling to budge. They're unwilling to be humble. They're unwilling to be like Jesus. And yet they call themselves a follower of Jesus. Let me tell you the five major areas of conflict. Money, sex, kids, in-laws, and, and schedule, and every one of them demands a compromise because you can't get your way all the time in any of those areas. You gotta learn to, to cooperate. N number five, you're a peacemaker when you emphasize reconciliation and not resolution. And this one's a big one. The Bible says, therefore, if anybody is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. All this is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ. And then he gave us, he gave you the ministry of reconciliation. Beloved, there's a big difference between reconciliation, which means to reestablish the relationship, 
and resolution, which means to resolve every issue. You may not be able to resolve every issue, but you can still reconcile the relationship. Now, why is this? Why can't we resolve every issue? Well, that's because we're all different. If you're like most couples, one of you is an early riser, the other is a night owl, one of you is daring and impulsive, the other is cautious and reserved, one of you likes to play by the rules, the other one is a, uh, says, you know, what rules? One of you likes to talk, the other one's the silent type, one of you loves to spend money, the other's a tightwad, you know? One of you loves to cuddle and snuggle, the other's a porcupine, <laughs> right? When it comes to sex, God made you different. Did you hear about the couple that bought a waterbed? Ever since they bought it, they've been drifting apart. I don't even know what that means. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> We're different biologically, right? Every cell in a man's body is different from every cell in a woman's body, genetically, by X and Y chromosomes. We're, we're different behaviorally, we're different in background. Not only is every woman different from every man, but every woman is different than every other woman, and every man is different than every other man. We're all unique, so it's no wonder we don't always understand each other at times, right? It's okay that you like, you know, modern furniture, and it's okay that your spouse likes antiques, it's okay. It's okay that one of you likes red cars and one of you likes white cars. It's okay. It's okay that one of you likes Chinese food and one of you likes steak. It's okay. We're just different. And different doesn't mean that somebody's better or smarter or wiser. It just means that we're different. So you can't focus on, well, we gotta have resolution in every problem. You may never have resolution. Don't focus on that. Focus on reconciliation. Focus on the relationship. I'm not gonna lose the relationship I have with my wife over what color car we choose, over what kind of furniture we put in the house. Now, I have an opinion. And there are times when some of these minor things, there can be tension, and all it takes is for one person to just say, you know what, I'm just gonna to yield to you. That's fine, that's great. That's fine. And you move on. So here's what I want to do. I want us to say these five things out loud together, and then we're going to have a great time of prayer in here, okay? Just right where you're at, over in the venue, let's say these out loud together. Number one, plan, schedule regular times when you and your spouse talk. Number two, empathize, care about your spouse's feelings. Number three, attack the problem, not your spouse. Number four, cooperate as much as possible with your spouse. Number five, emphasize reconciliation, not resolution. Now, you do those five things, plan, empathize, attack, cooperate, and emphasize. Look what you got. You got, go ahead and change the next slide. We do that? Give me the next slide. There you go. You got peace. Now, there's a whole lot of other things the Bible would say. But I guarantee if you take those five things, you start by saying, okay, let's plan a peace conference. Let's really care. Let's empathize with one another. Let's attack the, the, the problem. Let's cooperate with each other and let's emphasize reconciliation. I, I guarantee you, you'll find a greater amount of peace in your relationships. Now, over in the venue and in here, I want all the elders and pastors just to stand. We've got some up in each of the balconies. We've got some that are right back here in front of the mezzanine section. Here they come, and we have a whole bunch of them that are gonna be up here. And here's what we're gonna do. 
We're just going to give you a chance. We're going to sing some songs, and this is going to be the best part of the whole gathering. Up in the mezzanines, uh, the, the elders and pastors are in the back, and you're just going to make your way towards the back. Some of you are going to come up front here. Some of you will go back there, and we're just going to sing some songs together. Some of you are nervous, and you're going to leave, and that's too bad. That's just the reality. I understand human beings. But I know most of you are going to stay, and this has just been an incredible part of last night, our last hour over in the venue. And we just want you, as we're singing songs, you don't have to get out right away. There'll be lines that are lined up. Don't get nervous. God's not nervous. And these, these people are just going to pray a, a prayer of blessing in your life. It's not a counseling appointment. They're not going to ask you what's going on in your marriage. They're not going to do that. They're going to ask you your name, and then they're simply going to lay hands on you, and they're going to pray a prayer of blessing, a prayer of peace in your life. And then they're going to hand you one of these cards. And basically this card is just the, the peace conference plan. And you can put it in your Bible and, and it's just the notes that I've condensed down into a card. And if you're single, come forward. We want them to pray for you too. If you're engaged, come forward. Your marriage is great, come forward. Get, be prayer. If your marriage isn't very good, let us pray. It doesn't matter what stage your marriage in. It doesn't matter whether you're married or not. These are men and women that just want to pray for you. Over in the venue, we've got pastors over there, and they're just there to pray for you. And don't feel like you got to get out of here in a hurry. Just enjoy this moment as we sing together, and we enjoy a time of, of prayer together. Roger, I'm going to ask you and your wife if you guys would get up, and if you'd come right back over here into the back uh, area, and I want you to be one of our, our, our prayer folks. He's one of our elders. Didn't have a chance to, to, to talk with him, okay? And I, I just, just enjoy it. Sing the songs, and then when you're done, go back to your seats if you want. You know, if you got to get out of here, I guess go. But, but let's just enjoy worshiping together as we just fill this place with prayers of, of peace, okay? Father, thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Thank you, God, for being a God who cares deeply about us and leaving your word. It's so practical. I pray now as we pray that this would be a great time. Miracles might happen right here, Lord. And I pray this in your name. Amen.